Okay, so look, uh, welcome everybody. It's just gone on 12 o'clock on midday. It is Friday. And today we're going to take an hour out of this uh, day today, this Friday, and have a chat with a I Love Real Estate student called Jared. Now, Jared has been in the community um, quite a number of years, uh, and he's got a really interesting different story um, and this is the thing that uh, I've got to say I love about the Isle of Real Estate community is every student who comes into the community has their own reasons about why they join they're also coming into the community for a variety of different uh, situations they want to solve there are some common themes but with these kind of success stories that we've been doing I always find it fascinating to gain another insight, another point of view, another way of how someone has taken advantage of Dimpler's training and turned their life around. And this uh, today, you're going to get another perspective, another fascinating perspective. So, Jared, you're here. You're here yep. and you're, you're ready to go to have a chat, aren't you? Totally ready. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to join us today. Uh, and uh, what we want to do is let's just get straight into the, uh, the questions and then give us a bit of an insight into, um, into your journey within the Isle of Real Estate community, hey? Great. So um, from when we first start and when we first kind of join the community, it's always interesting to find out, you know, where, where we are at, you know, where we at before you joined. Because it's kind of like everyone joins for a different reason. Everyone's coming, coming into the community from, a, from, from their own perspective. Uh, where were you coming from? So I'd been a um, full-time employed public servant for quite a long time, worked in IT. I'd pretty much been working since I left school, never went to uni or any of that sort of stuff. And um, I got sick of that and decided that the answer to that was to go and run my own business. And I picked a really good time uh, right into the GFC. So I set up this business with debt, equipment, and need to make money. And then I also followed it up with having our first kid at the same time, because got to have some motivation in it. And the GFC just tanked that business. So we went in with, um, we had a little bit of property at that stage. My wife and I had both been well employed and we had a little bit of money behind us. But by the time we finished paying off the equipment loans and sold off the equipment and shut down the business and everything else like that, I'd lost the uh, house that I had brought into the marriage and had had to sell that to pay out quite a lot of that debt. And we had a little bit of investment property left, the house that we lived in, and I had to go back to IT work. But at this stage, I was no longer in Canberra where you get paid quite well for that. I was in Newcastle. And you don't get paid real well for that. And so I was on about the same money I'd been on 10, 12 years earlier when I joined the public service. And I now had a family to support. So, yeah, that was a good way to start my uh, business career. Tough, hey? Man, okay. That's, um, that's, a, that's a tough one to get, uh, you know, to get started. Now, but yeah. you're, from your side of things, obviously you'd already had a little bit involved with property, hadn't you? Yeah. So that was, yeah. it, was not, it was not kind of new to you. Can you give us a bit of an insight into like, you know, if, were, you, were you like a full-time investor or something? To what extent did you, you know, involve yourself with property investing prior? Yeah, so I come from a family where my dad always owned property. My mum used to do a bit of maintenance and collect rent and that sort of stuff. Um, but it was always seen as something on the side. And 
maybe didn't quite understand the economics of why. So like I'd always bought, like my first home when I moved out, it was mine, I bought it. Um, I was able to save money and do things, but I wasn't really very sensible at paying anything down. I was particularly good at taking equity and using it for more fun things than property. Um, I had managed to get between my wife and I, we'd managed to build up a little bit of a property portfolio. We had um, probably three rental properties at that stage. Um, They're all pretty highly leveraged. Um, So I was comfortable. They're all in our name completely. Like there was no, there was no asset protection here. This was this, none of that. So like we were okay from that perspective, but the business kind of ate a chunk of our equity and the one of the properties in particular was highly negative cash flow and you know so i'm earning less money than ever living in a city where we don't particularly know a lot of people and our property strategy wasn't particularly active it was more of a buy and hold and hope things go up and maybe at some point they'll make some money and uh yeah and i'd kind of during the business time I'd met a bunch of people who were doing property development. They were doing little subdivisions. They were doing like splitters. I'd met some builders and I thought, well, okay, so there's this whole other side to property that I didn't really know anything about. Um, And I didn't really, I'd never really had that as my mindset. That wasn't my family's background or anything. And um, that was when I saw one of Dipna's ads in somewhere, can't even remember where I saw it and went and saw her at a uh, club in Newcastle for one of the one day events. Wow. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty much right at the time where you needed, you needed a change. <laughs> she, 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 uh, she kind of appeared and she has a way of doing that as well. Those ads, I think John has something to do with that. Those ads get everywhere. Yeah. They, <laughs> oh, they, like even now, like my Facebook thinks I'm really keen. So like the amount of Dipna ads I see in my Facebook, but so, this was pre-social media. I'm, I, it was a literally, I remember it was a printed ad. Um, but it was just, and you know, it's like with a lot of those ads, you go, oh, too good to be true. That's free. I can give up a day for free. And once I kind of did that one day course, I'm like, oh, this is actually really seems like decent content. Um, but as I said, like, we just had this business go broke. We weren't earning a lot of money. Like that cost for that initial fee, it was all back. It was just ultimate that we signed up for. And that was a pretty scary fee. Like, I'd sold my motorbike when my daughter was born. I'd sold my motorbike to pay the bills. Wow. Um, okay. I, I was driving a beat up old, like, in fact, I was just, I was driving a beat up old Commodore that my brother-in-law had given me, which some bugger stole off me at some point. I walked out of work one day and it wasn't even there. Um, like this is where we were at. And you know, I managed to f- get together the money and pay for the, uh, pay for the course. And I remember Dipna saying, on the one day event, she said, look, the course costs money. Yes, that's, it's expensive, but you'll make it back in the first project you do. And I'm like, great, no worries. I'm going to try and prove that's right or wrong. I don't care whether it's true or not, but I'm going to go and do it. And if it's not right, I'll have something to say about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so when, so what, what have you got to say now, Jared? <laughs> well, I'm, look, we made money off the first one. Yep. Um, the first project we brought was a was on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. It was a dual income property that had been a little bit let go. So we did a reno and um, I managed that all myself. I went up there and worked on it and took the kids up with me at times and got it done as quickly as I could. It took me about a month to get it sorted and get new tenants in there. We upped the income on it a chunk, which was great. Um, and that property's kind of, while it hasn't been great for capital gains, except maybe the last couple of years, because everything has been, um it's 
that property's income was the anchor for our portfolio and that big negative property that we had, um, this one allowed us to hold on to it for the time that it took for it to finally get back to positive. Mostly that was about interest rates as much as anything else. And um, that property, that big negative property, um, it's doubled in value in the last two years. So the fact that it's still wow. in our portfolio has probably added three or 400 grand to our net worth in the last two years. So, awesome. I mean, it's one of those things, it's hard to measure, but it, the knock-on effect has been pretty significant. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Awesome. So when it comes to the training, um, what was there, was there, a, was a part of the training that was, you know, was really like, you know, this, this kind of, you connected with it or what, what area did you really kind of get into when you first started? Cause I'd grown up around property and like, I knew about what, how being a landlord and how all that works. Um, but I'd never really understood about, well, kind of why, like it was fun to own property. Great to be a landlord, but why didn't make sense. So this idea of, well, here's what the property does in your portfolio. Here's how picking that property to fill that gap works. Here's how you should be putting these things together. Here's how you think about yourself and your property journey as an, as an entire thing. It's kind of that, that holistic view. And that's, that's always why I thought that Dipner as a training option has been like always the one I recommend is because it's the holistic way of approaching it. It's not just, mm, mm. you should just do this strategy or you should just renovate or you should just do options or you should just do something. It's here's a whole lot of tools, but here's a way to bring them all together in a coherent way. And it was that it was learning that in layers by doing the boot camp over and over again on DVD until I kind of understood it. Um, and then doing the boot camp in person, it was that kind of that element that was really good. And then doing the boot camp was fantastic because you realize you're not the only weirdo. There's a whole lot of us out there. And I <laughs> yeah. quite quite enjoyed hanging out with those people and realizing, wow, I yes, I'm I know where I'm going, I'm coming from and I understand quite a bit, but I've also got quite a long way to go and a lot to learn. So it was good yeah. seeing that spectrum of people that get involved in this community yeah yeah the community is awesome it's got it's got a life of its own and it's just so super supportive and um yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, i've really enjoyed being a part of it and as we worked out earlier it's been nine years almost or just over nine years since i've joined up so i mightn't be as fast a success as some people but i'm me i'm doing my thing and i'm living a life i'm pretty happy with so awesome man yeah Cool. So um, how about you tell us a little bit about the, um, some of the deals that you've done? I think you mentioned just one there about the, the doing the reno to start with. Yeah, that was, the, that was kind of the first one we, was the, was the first one we bought in, in amongst the program, but I don't think I'd done the boot camp quite when I started it. And as a result, it ended up in my name. I always kind of laugh because it was the last property that ended up in my name at all. Um, we bought that for 185000 uh, and it didn't go up in value for like 10 years or eight years, seven years. And then it started going up now, but the reno itself upped the income. So we were getting something like, I think 425 or something a week rent from it. It was two rental incomes. Um, but after the reno, um, that put it up to about 485 from memory and it earns in the 500s now. Um, mm -hmm. So it's always been a good little earner. The one thing I would say is, regional New South Wales is a bit rough on water rates, but other than that, it's been pretty good. Um, we've actually had the same tenants in the renovated place since we renovated it. So they've been in there 10 years now or nine years. And 
yeah, it's a bit worn out. And I think it's due for a bit of a bit of love or possibly exiting the portfolio for something a little less, little lower maintenance. But yeah, it's been a good property to have in amongst the portfolio. And yeah, we kind of moved on from there to, well, I renovated the house that we were living in pretty steadily. Because mm-hmm. um, once I'd done that one, I kind of felt a bit more confident. I thought, yeah, bugger this, I'll give this a go. And we ended up with um, new kitchens and bathrooms and paint and polished floors and all the nice things. It was one of the nicest houses in this pretty rough suburb in Newcastle. Yep. Um, which, funnily enough, like we, we bought that one. We paid 185 for it too, which is funny because it's the same price we paid for the other one. Um, we paid 185 for it, I think. Oh, yeah, something like that. It's worth $600,000 now. And it's like one of the cheapest suburbs in Newcastle, which I find disturbing. Wow. Wow. But, I mean, the Renault's probably only, the Renault's just kept us with good tenants. I, I've, I've found this a few times with properties I've done over the years. When I've renovated them, I get better tenants and a little bit better income. But the real benefit is better tenants, less hassles, no maintenance issues because everything's new. So that was, that was, I kind of did that. We already owned that when we started the program, but um, I did that after the, uh, after the one on the mid North coast. And then, then not long after that, we decided that Newcastle really wasn't our scene and we moved to Tassie. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's an awesome deal, especially, oh, well, that, that is over a nine period, nine year period of time as well. What, yeah, because uh, we never getting... bought another PPR. It's fairly tax-free. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Awesome, mm. man. So um, can you tell us another deal? I think there's one there that you've done in, was it Perth? Which Yeah, so this is Little Perth, <laughs> not Big Perth. So for the mainlanders, there's a town just outside of Launceston called uh, Perth. And it's a, it's basically... It's actually a booming little suburb of, well, they consider it a suburb of Launceston now because it's um, oh, there's housing estates all around it and stuff. And we bought a house in there when there was a really, like when we moved to Tassie, the market was super flat. You could pretty much negotiate on anything. Um, there was no competition. It was post-GFC. Um, everything had come right off a big boom into the GFC. And we got this place that was it was a, a big a house on the side of a big block of land and the owners had got a DA for the subdivision had then just started the subdivision a little bit so that the DA wouldn't expire and then never bothered finishing it. So we bought it with a good rental income and then subdivided the block and the intention was always to build on it. And then I got distracted with other projects and sat on it for years and we sold it last year and we, um, we sold the block for about a bit over $100,000 and we've still got the house next door and it's worth more than what we paid for it now. So, and it still rents to the same tenants. Like they won't leave. They've, they just settled in there. They don't, they just, every, if, if the only time I hear from them is if a major appliance wears out, that's other than that, we just get rent. So it was a good little practice one. It was great. Cause I met my surveyor through that project. Who's mm-hmm. been fantastic. He JV'd with me on a subdivision recently. Um, he's become quite a good mate and uh, I got to know the process. I got to know that Midlands Council is probably not the place I want to do a lot of business. Um, they're a slightly difficult little council. And it was great. I cut my teeth on a on a little one into two subdivision. It was really quite good. Awesome, man. Awesome. Nice one. So you um, sold the block, got 100K, kept the house, and the house is now worth the equivalent of what you paid for the... Yeah, quite a bit more here. probably. Yeah. Like we, we, we bought it for not really sure what we bought it for it wasn't a lot of money maybe 200 grand or something like that mm-hmm. it's probably worth 
250, 300 now. And I've never, like, other than a stove and a hot water system, I don't think I've done anything on that house since I've owned it. But it's just Tassie at the moment. The market's a bit mad. It's uh, not only Tassie. No. Sharon, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of everywhere. But it yeah. Is, it's indeed, yeah. Uh, what did you move on to then? Or what's, what's another deal? Because you, you've, you've done a number of deals during your time, haven't you? Yeah. Um, I kind of realised that if I wanted to do bigger deals, I probably needed to involve other people at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, so naively, without much thought and kind of um, possibly a little, I'd, I'd met someone through the community who I, um, who I got on with fairly well. And we'd been talking about possibly doing a deal together. And I found a quite good subdivision deal here in Launceston. It's in a, a nicer suburb down south. Um, and it was this weird sort of setup with a house at the front but then completely separate access to this massive chunk of land at the back. So I put together a plan for that and we bought that as a, uh, as a, as a JV and um, I basically managed it as got the DA and we had a couple of neighbors who were particularly uh, difficult on that. Not very keen on having There's something about neighbors who have nice big empty blocks next to them that someone else maintains. They quite like that outlook. They don't want houses there and they're going to object if you try to put them there, <laughs> which I can understand, but if you don't own the block, you don't always get that kind of say. But um, we got that we got that DA all approved, and then um, due to some funding issues with my joint venture partner, that kind of stalled, and it didn't end particularly well in the end because um, there was no JV agreement, and I managed the project until the funding the funding never got sorted out, and I managed the property and I managed the sales process, and I. I dealt with agents and I dealt with all the inquiries and we had like three offers come through and get it signed and then fall through and dealt with this whole process. And then right at the last minute, I was told that um, oh, the only reason it made money is because it's uh, it went up in value. So you don't actually get any money out of this project. See you later. So my lesson from that was uh, when you're doing a JV, probably have a really ironclad JV agreement. And the training is really clear on that. Ultimate taught me that. I just thought maybe I knew better and saving five grand on a JV agreement would be a good idea. Not really a good idea. So mm. I've, I've never done a JV agreement since with a JV with since without a proper agreement. And certainly I've learned a lot about that because I've done several since, but it's worth taking the time to have a proper agreement, have it all written out, be really, really clear about where everyone stands. Even if you're verbally clear with everyone, if it's not written out, people change their interpretation over time. Mm. So, you know, that was an expensive experience, but learning experience. Lesson learned, hey? Lesson learned. Yeah, yeah. And once the reality is, like the course, the course costs money, that lesson costs money, but I've made far more out of the lesson than mm. the money I lost out of that project. So yeah. um, the next JV deal that I did, I made triple quadruple what i lost on that deal and yep. it went really well because of the experience of that loss and because of putting the jv agreement together well and because i knew how to run a project properly yeah, yeah. now jad you just mentioned something and I, I just want to kind of pull apart a little bit of a a viewpoint here Don't and run. that is and that is that how do you come out of a deal where you've lost and then suddenly go into another one where you've turned it around and the reason why i'm asking this is because often you can run into a situation where you do a deal and it's like, you know what, 
it feels like you've made a mistake and that's it. You go, this is not for me and you step away. So what, what happened at the point in time? Can you just kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Is that okay? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> so because that JV deal had taken, so the one that went bad, took so long to go bad. I was already just starting the other one before I'd got, before I'd, um, before it had completely become clear how bad that was. And so I'd kind of got an inkling of where it was going. So I deliberately done the JV agreement and the JV agreement was so painful to do. Like there was all this back and like the guys who I did the, who I'm, who I did that project with had never done a JV before. I'd never done an agreement before I'd done a JV before, but I'd never done an agreement. And we spent a serious amount of money on the lawyers. Like the lawyers made some good coin. They mm -hmm. did well, but because of that, because I kind of got a hint that it was going badly I kind of put this together. And then when it went really badly, I was like, I was upset for days. I was just really upset. And, and I just went, well, I've got no choice. I've already committed to these other guys that mm -hmm. I'm doing this JV with them. I've, their money's on the line. We're already committed to the property. And what do you do? You have to do it. So like there was no, and this is what I want to do. So you either learn or you quit. And if I quit, what else am I going to do? Go and work in IT for the rest of my life and be depressed. So it's, I mean, when it's a choice between depression or making a mistake and losing some money and keeping on going, you do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, that, I mean, that's how I found it. It's an easier choice to keep going. And so the next subdivision was probably the hardest one I've ever done. Um, and that was the JV that I properly set up, but I had to put, so it's a, it's a big wide block of land looking out over the valley in Launceston. Um, it's a lovely spot and it's low density residential. So you couldn't put lots and lots of blocks on it. So we came up with this way of doing it without roads, which was really good. And I managed to talk the council into doing it. So we have these big shared driveways that come in that are really nicely landscaped. And, and that way we don't have to put in bitumen and curbing and expensive, silly stuff that no one really wants. And, um, and we just did seven blocks and, you could have fit like technically I could have probably fit 20 blocks on there, mm -hmm. but by doing feasibilities, which the course teaches you to do, like the more feasibility you, you do, the better you learn, the more feasibilities you run on other people's projects, the better you learn, the better you are with your numbers, the less mistakes you make. 20 blocks of land on that site would have lost me money. Mm. Seven blocks of land made me money. Because that's a fast, yeah, yeah great well, point. Put, great point. If I put 20 in, I would have got smaller blocks, which were worth less. I would have had to put way more services in. And the thing I learned from spending time up on the block and looking around and asking people and talking to people was everything up there is a rock shelf. I had to, we would have had to put, we would have had to blast and cut and jackhammer and mess around. Whereas if we just do seven blocks, we can do it a lot more gently. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And the main issue with that was not any of that stuff. It was the fact that our, there were no stormwater connections. So when I bought it, um, we had 20, this is one block of land and it has 20, over 20 neighbors. And 20, um, 20 on the one block. Okay. Yeah, All right. It's yeah. a big block. This is sounding, this is sounding interesting. Yeah. Let it, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's wide and yep. it's behind all the existing houses with driveways in. And so it's like, it's like an internal block, but it has like three access points. And so 
I went to the council and talked to them and I'm like, you know, all these neighbours don't have stormwater connected, do you? And they're like, yeah, but that was the previous council. That wasn't us because the councils have been merged since then. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want their stormwater on our land. And they went, well, you have to solve that problem. And I'm like, well, so this is, you've got to learn how to talk to councils because, well, how do I solve that problem? Well, you build it. I'm like, great. So I build it, you pay for it. And they're like, yeah, that sounds fair. So I end up coming up with this plan where I design all the stormwater in two components, the component that's all council's elements and then mm -hmm. my components. And then I quote it in two components. And then I go back to council and I say, this is how much it's going to cost you. And they're like, yeah, okay. And then you go, great, no worries. So I, I ended up becoming a, a civil contractor, well, head contractor for the council. I had to sign up onto their system as a vendor and I had to do all this sort of stuff so that I could build for them the stormwater systems and then sell it back to them. Yeah, it's good wow. fun. Wow. I wrote an invoice at one point during that project, which was over a hundred grand. Now for someone who works office jobs in IT, I don't tend to write hundred thousand dollar invoices very often. That was very scary. Wow. But they paid it within 14 days. And our stormwater kept going. But the problem was our stormwater had to go under Taz Rail, which is a, a rail line. There's a rail line there and Taz Rail owner. And it had to go across one of our neighbor's blocks below and down to a river. And um, yeah, that was an absolute slog getting through that because Taz Rail don't want anything under their rail line. And you don't really want to dig up a rail line and put a piece of stormwater through. And through research, we kind of figured out that there was a spot where the sewer line already went through. Mm -hmm. And we were able to just piggyback right next to it and slide it through the same spot. And so I had to negotiate with council, who I'm building the stormwater for. I had to negotiate with Tazrail, who owned kind of the asset over the top of this thing. And then I had to negotiate with Taz Water, who owned the sewer line, because you're not meant to put stormwater on top of sewer lines. So we had to keep them as far apart as possible. And I reckon I probably made 50 50 phone calls just to get that one little piece of the development approved <laughs> it was amazing and then um right when we started digging it in into my neighbor's block he kicked all my civil works guys off his block and said no nah, you're not allowed on here i'm not happy with this and um used us as leverage for a subdivision he was doing on the other side of town because he knew if he made our life hard it would it would affect council and then council would go and help him on the other thing used this as leverage for like two weeks on the council. Wow. So yeah, it was good. <laughs> How did you, like, when you run into things like that, what kind of, I mean, obviously you're committed, you know, yes. you've, got to keep, you've got to keep on going. Um, but how do you approach when you're coming up against so many kind of obstacles? You got to, well, you can't get angry at everyone involved because that really doesn't work. Um, though you're very tempted to, um, I, so you're dealing with lots of people and luckily Launceston's pretty decent. People know each other. So when you hire decent people, the council know you're using decent people, the civil mm. contractor knows everyone knows that everyone's trying to do the right thing, but you ring everyone and you say, what is the problem and how can I solve it for you? And then you ring the next person. What is our problem and how can I solve it for you? And then you work out all those people and you talk to them all. And then you go, great, here's what I think might be a solution. And then you ring them all again. 
here's what we think might be a solution. Does that work for you? And you do this over and over and over until you find the path that actually works. Because I kind of figured at some, in some way, there's a way where we can get stormwater off this hill, down this thing, under the rail line and down the valley. There's a way to do it that everyone will sign up on. I just had to find what that was. And with the neighbor who is a very aggressive older gentleman who owns a lot of property in Launceston and he's belligerent and aggressive. That's his technique. He'll deal with everyone like that. It's not personal. He's just rude to everyone. I found that the best way to deal with him was to hire a civil contractor who's related to him. <laughs> well, luckily the civil contractor who I quite like, he's married to his niece. So like it was, it worked really well, but you just had to learn how to manage them. And then dealing with the council i finally found one guy in the council who's an ex they call them powder monkeys which is a mm -hmm. great term i absolutely love it they're guys who blow stuff up <laughs> yep so yep. he used to be a blaster like that was his job so ex powder monkey nice guy but massively high standards he's really 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 finicky my plumber doesn't like him because he holds my plumber to the absolute highest standards mm -hmm. but whenever i have a problem at council i ring him and i go Hey, here's my problem. How do I deal with it? Who do I talk to? And he's always helpful. You just build relationships with people. Yeah. That's how you get through it. Jared, this is this is fascinating. And for and for those listening, if you um take another listen to this, you know, this is this is so insightful in seeing how you deal with issues when they come up and obviously how to keep an attitude and a consistency in order with dealing with problems and obviously dealing with people because essentially what you're saying is this is all it's it's a people it's a people business yeah you know well it's especially a, if you're doing development like that because and it appears on the mainland sometimes there are places where you can just like new south wales there's stuff you can do if you're just compliant you can push it through we don't have a lot of that down here a lot of it is a people game it's about building a relationship following the rules reading between the lines like dealing with my um plan, I got I've got a plan a guy at council who's a town planner who I deal with, and I always deal with the same guy. I'm always polite with him. I always make sure I'm organised when I show up to a meeting. I make sure I've got everything ready to go, and I like had a meeting with him the other day. I'm like, this is what I'm planning to do, da 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 da, and he gives me three tiny little pieces of advice, but they're enough that I need to make sure that the next step goes through. So yeah, it's all it's all a people game and trying not to make yourself an enemy of too many people is a good idea. Mates in the market, hey? Mates in the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I mean, that that subdivision, my, my surveyor came in as a joint venture partner on it. It was only a small percentage, but it was good fun for, for us because um, I basically said, he basically did all the surveying work, all the, everything else for free, um, but he got to invoice us once we'd sold everything. And then he got a little percentage of the profits. But it was great. Like every time I rang him, he was mm. he was in there, he was mm. there within half an hour. Like awesome. because his his money was in his his interests were aligned, his money was aligned, and he had yep. a good yep. good fun and yeah. So yeah, and like yeah, I just you don't go wrong being decent to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Treating them with a bit of respect. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Awesome. Excuse me, sir. <clears throat> That's all right. Not no, 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 no. <laughs> well, you know, I might have to do a check. I don't know. <laughs> no, all good. Um, hey, so because you're doing joint ventures as well, can yep. you can you give us a bit of an insight? And I and I want to kind of like I'd like to find out 
obviously other deals that you've done that you want to share as well. Sure. But because we've come up with this, this joint venture arrangement, how do you approach a JV? Because obviously when the first one we did, you didn't have an agreement. It went pear-shaped. You had to deal with it. Then obviously it changed it. What's your approach now, for, especially for, for like if, if new students are coming on and, being, and going, yeah. hey, I want to do a joint venture, how do you approach it? So the first one, the one thing I did do right was it was someone who I knew reasonably well. We'd crossed paths quite a lot. We spent time together. I got on with her really well um, and I quite liked her. That element, I think, is quite good. You should be able to get on with the person, have a commu communicate with the person, everything else. There were some other elements at play that made it go wrong in the end and some things changed. But what went wrong there was there wasn't a really firmly written set of agreements. We had mm. talked about all the stuff. So there was a verbal agreement on everything. But what I do now is I make sure I get to know the people a bit. I spend time talking to them on the phone. I meet them face to face harder in this COVID world, but I like, I like to do JV part JV deals with people who I, who I know and who I get along with a bit. Mm. Otherwise you spend a lot of time talking to someone who you maybe have nothing in common with, or you don't really know that well. Um, but you make sure that you're aligned in yeah. what you're trying to achieve and you're every project is going to take longer than anyone thinks it will. So your timelines have got to be aligned. Your profit expectations have got to be aligned. Your communication frequency has got to be clearly talked about. And I like the JV agreement that we use now, I've started to kind of standardize a bit of an agreement. It's a really nicely written out agreement. I know how I structure things and you really learn from doing it. The first time you do a JV agreement, you've got to really heavily lean on the lawyers for your advice and how you want to handle it. Mm -hmm. even then they're not going to think of everything there's going to be quirks in every deal but if you've got people you get on with and that your your, pro, your goals are aligned and your your um your intentions are aligned i think that's a really good start but then that's not enough you've got to have all the legal agreements in place you've got to have the ownership structure in place and you've got to be really explicit about how everything flows together mm. so it's kind of a two-sided thing there's the not so sexy have everything legal and locked down, but then also the, you know, have fun, communicate, get on, be people that, you know, you don't mind spending long, I mean, they're long-term relationships. That subdivision that I did with the railway corridor, that from the moment I contracted it to the moment we settled out most of the sales was over two years, like two and a half mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. That's a long time to be involved with, a, with people. Yeah, yeah. And especially when you've got, you know, half a million, I think we peaked out at about five or $600,000 spend on that. Yep. Oh, uh, no, past the block. So yeah, probably 750 spend on that, on that project. So that's a lot of money if someone's to have in your hands and be responsible for. Mm. How, did, how did that deal end up? Really good. Um, <laughs> what does is, what is really good really mean, good. Jared? <laughs> so we bought the block of land for two... Two sixty or two forty-five, something like that. It wasn't much. It was a, It wasn't. It wasn't particularly valuable because no one could make it work. Mm -hmm. um, it was the weird approach that we did that made it work. Now, um, I tend to whenever I'm doing a JV, how profit splits up is between the people involved. But just for your perspective, for the audience's perspective, I tend to take less than my money partners. Just how I am. I and. At the moment, it's on on a couple of my projects. It's fifty one forty nine. 
Like it's literally mm-hmm. 1% different, but they're making more money than me. I'd rather that was the case. Um, and on this on this this project, they my money partners made most of the money, and my surveyor who was in with me, he made five percent, and I think I made about forty ish percent. I think he made forty five, they made fifty, something like that. But um, the market moved with us, which was just really magical and lucky. Nothing to do with my amazing forecasting abilities. Um, had we had we not had the market move with us. Uh, my JV partners would have made at least a 50% cash on cash return. Yep. Um, as it is, they made, I'm, I'm, we've got one block of land yet to um, contract because we've, we're messing around doing a house on it. Um, but I'd say by the time we're finished, they'll make over 100% return on their investment. Mate, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so and, and you said, I, so it's, it's about a 260 buy-in and was this, was the, the, uh, yeah, we spent about half a, half a million dollars on civils. Five, yep, okay. Yeah, so that was sewer connections, stormwater connections, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um, we managed to, that's not including what we build council. So we there was probably about $200,000 worth of infrastructure we built for council, which wasn't part of that. So we basically built it, build council, and then paid the civil contractor. We just passed through. Um, but yeah, it did, it did quite well. Um, I mean, the blocks of land, our smallest block of land was 2,800 square metres. Our biggest block of land was a hectare. Mm-hmm. And I kept that one as part of my profit share. Awesome. Yeah, yeah cool. So I, was, I, st- I still have that block of land. And I um, at some point, I likely will end up living on it because it's a lovely big space up on the side mm-hmm. of a hill looking out over the city. Man, nice. nice. It's kind of not like It's kind of nice to not even have a mortgage on it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Hey, good deal. Good deal. Mm. And now, have you got more deals? Because I think you've, you said you've got a few more deals on the go. I've got... Is it? Yeah, we've got two on the go now. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is to get up to four at a time. And so as, as I've kind of mentioned, I'm, I've got an IT background. I'm currently working for the federal government in a role here in Launceston. And I'm a bit past the point where I really want to be told what to do for work um it's the problem is my banks are slightly addicted to my salary rather than me yep uh so i'm currently in the process of working out how to get rid of that and then finance that sort of stuff so it's that consulting trust building the income so my jvs now have an element of income going through them over time um and then bigger chunks at the end so as that develops i'll move out of full-time work but i've got two projects on the go at the moment one of them is in launceston it's actually near about three blocks from where I'm sitting right now. And it's a tiny, well, by Launceston, tiny block of land. It's 5,500, sorry, 500 square metres. Um, and it came with a DA in place for two two-bed, two-and-a-half bath um, townhouses on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't normally see value in DAs in the Tasmanian market. Like mainland, I can understand that. There's a lot of time and effort going into getting a DA. Normally that doesn't happen down here because it's very clear cut what you can get. And you can usually get a DA through in three, six months would be a really long DA here. Three months is really more reasonable. Um, However, this DA was approved for stuff that I've never seen approved. Like there was less parking than required. It had more density than was normally allowed. Like it was a really good DA. So we paid quite a bit for that, but 
Um, we're expecting to spend about eight hundred thousand dollars on the construction. Um, mm -hmm. We bought we bought the block for three hundred. Yep. Um, about eight hundred on the construction, and our agents reckon they'll be worth about seven to eight hundred thousand dollars each. Awesome. Yeah, so that's a nice little that's a that's a nice little project. Um, I'm talking to a builder. It's a really tight little block. So we're talking to a builder. He's he's talking about building the ground floor on site, but building the upper floors at his workshop further away, and then trucking them over and craning them into place, mm -hmm. which would be a kind of a cool thing to do. Um, if you can make it stack up economically, we'll do that. And so, then, so yeah. with with that with that deal, that lawn system deal, are you looking at about maybe four five hundred k profit in that? Yeah, there'd be about that. Yeah, yep. yeah, awesome. And if the market keeps going the way it's going, it's good. But unfortunately, a lot of the uplift in prices at the moment is being eaten by the uplift in building materials and building. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. Um, hopefully, um, I got a set of drawings through over the weekend to review. So, once the drawings are finished, we've got to go back for a slight review to the DA because we've reconfigured it a bit better. Um, originally, mm -hmm. there was a three-story townhouse with all the living on the top floor. And then it had this weird deck arrangement kind of above a bedroom. And I don't like wet exposed outdoor areas above bedrooms that mm. are hard to waterproof. and Waterproof it, yep. Yeah. yeah. So what we've ended up doing is moving the living area down and the bedrooms to the top. So the living area is in the middle and then um, putting the deck at the other end out over empty space. So that's a small, that's a, because of the way we've done it, we're not really changing the shape of the building at all. Um, we're hoping to get through with a minor amendment to the DA, which should be pretty good. Um, worst case scenario, we just build what the DA had, but we'd rather build a better product. Um, I could just build what we had and sell it, but long-term, I don't want to be the person who builds stuff that's hard to maintain or hard to build or hard to make sure it's waterproof. So I'd rather build a slightly better product and take an extra month or two to get it right to, at this stage when it's just paper and drawings. Yeah, nice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Um, okay, cool. So that's that's one. And then you've got another one, have you? Yeah, we just went unconditional on Monday on one. It's on the northwest coast in a place called Wynyard. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lovely little town right up on the coast on the north. And we bought, uh, it's a it's a 900 thousand square meter block of land and it has a tiny little one bed one bath in the middle of it with hang on did you say nine hundred thousand square meters no 900 sorry nine hundred thousand <laughs> it's somewhere 900 thousand okay all right yeah, yeah i see nine hundred thousand square meters yeah okay another tiny deal no no this one's bigger uh yep. not that big um yeah it's a i think it'd be 975 something like that it's in that 900 range yep but it's got this little one better house in the middle and enough space on either side for a townhouse so we're just going to modernize the existing building and tidy it up and then put two new little two bed, one and a half bath, two bath uh, on each side. So I've got the designer lined up for that. Um, everyone's lined up. I've got the joint, vent joint venture partners. We're just, um, we're, we're pre-settlement at the moment, but we're unconditional on it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Jared, you're, um, it's good to see that you've been so active and you, and I, I, I gotta say, um, you really have got a fascinating insight into the getting the simplicity out of the complexities of running into a deal as well. Um, mm. I really like that approach and also the, the, the attitude you've got about kind of wanting to make sure that you're doing the right thing 
at the end of the deal as well from responsibility side. Um, yeah, mate, rather, credit, credit, credit to you. Mate, credit to, yeah, no, credit to you. That's, uh, and, and obviously, you know, you, you're doing well in the process. Um, well, I don't mind if I make a little bit less money, but I'm not here to make a loss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Mm. Uh, is there anything else you want to say in regards to the deals you have done? And so far, is there anything else you want to share? We've still got a little bit, little bit of little bit of time here. No, well, there's, I mean, there's a few other little things we've done. I've started to, sh- I've started to be interested in commercial a little bit. I bought my mm-hmm. first commercial place um, late last year, which is a little butcher shop in um, rural Tassie, which has been very interesting. Um, I didn't know how much cool rooms cost to have recon- recon- rebuilt. Is <laughs> another learning experience? It was, yeah. <laughs> I um I bought this butcher and the contract was really, really vague about what I earned, owned. And it turned out by the time I bought it, I owned the business name, the business, all the equipment and the building. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Problem is that when one of the cool rooms blows up, the $10,000 cool room replacement bill is yours, not the tenant's. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that was good fun. But it's a, I bought it for 185 and it rents for 360 a week. So it's, it's, it's a good way to learn about commercial without losing any money at the same time. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's good fun. I, I'm, I'm learning about that at the moment, but I like my property development. I enjoy that. So I, I like subdivisions and I like development work. It's, it's creative. Yeah. 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 Mate, nice, nice man. So, um, uh, how is your life different now? Yeah, well, I can actually. When I started, I was barely making ends meet. Certainly, couldn't afford to do almost anything we wanted to do, and couldn't even consider leaving work. I had to absolutely squeeze any property stuff I did in around um, around that day to day job. Whereas now I'm kind of at the point where we make enough money outside of this. It's, it, well, property actually, one of the big things early on is that extra, in, little bits of extra income was what allowed my wife to stay home and look after kids because we didn't want to pay someone else to raise our kids. So that was probably the biggest early benefit was the fact that only one parent had to work and she was always happy to be the one who was at home. Now that she's kind of gone back to work, we don't really need the salaries that we need had. And we've got so much rental income that we're kind of at the point now where we like we can choose a life that we want to live. Like I just finished school holidays with the kids and I took days off, days and days off every week and went riding mountain bikes with them during the day. And it's really nice going out to the mountain bike tracks on a Tuesday because they're really quiet. Being able to do that sort of stuff with the kids and not even worry about whether I'm getting paid or not because rent's still coming in is really nice. So yeah, this next couple of years transitioning to full-time property stuff will be on the next probably 12 months will be the interesting one. So you're looking at wanting to transition formally out of work in about 12 months time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If if I'm still being paid to do IT work in 12 months, I'll be a little disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice, Jared. Awesome. Uh, and then, and then, how does everything stack up for you? Like, can you give us a bit of an overview from a um, a portfolio side of things? How have things changed? Because when you first started, obviously you came in, you had three houses, mm. if I if I remember correctly, three houses, and it was negative. They were pretty leveraged, and you had some negative gearing there, yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, look, they were pretty leveraged, so like the negative gearing hurt and everything else. But I I did a quick bit of math. They were 
They were worth about seven hundred ish thousand dollars when we um, when we joined this community, mm-hmm. um, but we probably had them leveraged up in the ninety percent LVR range back then. Well, and okay, steadily yeah. over time, with with property values going up and everything going on to P and I, and like we just didn't fight that in the end. We found we got it cheaper interest rates. I did a I did a little video on it. I actually shared it on the community a few years ago, where I rang A and Z and I did a deal. I went to P and I but the discount on the rate was so much that it really cost me almost nothing. And I've been steadily paying that property on P&I ever since. So like our LVR at the moment's in the, like it's about 44, 45%. So, and we're our portfolio, property portfolio that we're holding at the moment is about 3.5 mil. So nice. Yeah. And our rental income of our current set of properties is um, about 175,000 a year. So that's not too bad. I mean, a chunk of that obviously goes to servicing debt and other stuff like that. But as we deleverage more and more and more, more of that income will just get allocated to whatever we actually want to do with it. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Such such a such a great result, hey? Mm, yeah, look, it's it's been a slow kind of process, but the compounding has really started to show up in the last couple of years. Because we're now into some of our loans are, uh, I mean, we're paying off every every mortgage payment that goes on it. More than half of it's paying off principal. Yeah. And when you yeah. see that, your principal goes down so fast, and then to have that combined with rent values all going up and um, interest rates low and rents all going up, it's been a really perfect storm for the last probably two years. And yep. you kind of go, I mean, we're just really lucky to be moving through this part of the market right now. Yeah. And Dimna, for those of you who've been listening in as well, Dimna has been talking and using that exact term, perfect storm, uh, at least for the last four or five years as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny, during COVID, I was trying to get finance for stuff and the banks were like, oh, yeah, but you're too rental heavy. We keep shutting and they keep shading all my rental income. I'm like, I haven't had a single tenant miss a rental payment during COVID yet. I know people who've lost jobs and you'll take my salary every day of the week, but you shade the hell out of my rental payments. Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so like we went through COVID and like incomes didn't get hurt. It was, we were, I mean, we're pretty bloody lucky in that respect, but having this rental portfolio gives us a really good piece of insulation from a lot of what goes on in the world. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm. And that, that would, that would give you such a different approach to life as well. Oh, you can be a, you can sleep a lot better. Yeah, and like, I mean, we were we were meant to be traveling a lot more with the kids, but you know, well, that doesn't happen anymore. But it it's right. I mean, I I, I can choose to. I I maybe about a year or two years ago, two years ago, I changed jobs because I was working an hour out of town. I was spending an an hour and a half, two hours a day in the car, and I just went and I took a job for lower pay so that I could walk to work and still still have a salary that the banks were happy with. But I could take that pay cut because I just upped what we paid us from one of the properties, one of the structures, and just went, oh, I'll pay the tax on that and have that pack, like cover off that gap. So yeah, it gives you those choices. I mean, we're not talking huge chunks. I mean, 175,000 sounds like a lot of money, but once you take all the mortgages and everything out, it, it's not a lot, but it's enough to make give you a lot of breathing room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like good, good, good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, so, if you if you were to um, if a new student was to come up to you and say, "Hey, look, you know, can you give us advice about 
you know, what I should do in regards to this Isle of Real Estate community, what advice would you be giving to like someone who's coming to the community, wanting to get started? What would you say? The thing I keep finding is that I often find people who they want to go and take action straight away, whether they're in the community or not. I, I want to buy a property. I, I really think I should get into property. Great. No worries. Go and learn something. Oh, but, but just tell me which property to buy or should I buy this unit off the plan? I was like, no, just what I say to everyone who I recommend signs up or gets involved is go and get, get involved, sign up and do the boot camp. do it live, do it on the videos and then do the videos a couple more times because until you get all that knowledge in your head, it's, it's just hard to make really good coherent steps. So like, I've, I've recommended this quite a lot of people in the community who've joined because I've recommended them and said, look, this is where I learned a lot of this stuff. This is how I got involved and get involved in the communities, get involved in your local meetup groups. We've got a great one here in Tassie and we get together um, probably not as often as we should, but I'm trying to fix that post COVID. Um, but yeah, it's the community. It's the people that you can kind of build relationships. It's that mates in the market, like you mentioned earlier you learn a lot from those people. Like we, we pretty regularly go to projects around Tassie that other people in the group are doing and we walk around their building sites and we look at what they're building and we look at how mm. they're specking things and where they're bringing their imports from. And we learn heaps from each other. I think that's the real, there's a great value in the community. Get in, do the learning, but also get to know the people. Yeah, nice. And uh, you've just reminded me as well, we didn't even touch on the fact that you, you've been looking after the, uh, uh, or taken a fair bit of um, responsibility from the Tassie group as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I was, um, I was at a boot camp in um, Melbourne a few years ago and I realised there really wasn't a Tassie group going at all and there weren't that many of us down here then. So I just set one up and started randomly inviting people into it and then steadily it became official over time and became the main I Love Real Estate group. So yeah, it's been, it's been good. We, we, we often discuss about whether we should meet in the South or the North because there's a bit of a North-South rivalry in Tassie. Yep, okay. um, we, we've, whenever it gets a bit too heated, we just meet in Campbelltown, which is right in the middle. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, man. but it's, yeah. Been, it's been a great group to be part of and yeah, we've, we've learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, great. So good to hear. Uh, Jared, is there anything else you want to share? If I, stuff? Well, I, I think I think I've pretty much wrapped up. There's, look, there's been a, there's a bit of the stream of comments on the Facebook. Uh, Karen's been kind of like pretty positive. May's uh, JV agreement need to make sure structures are right too. Yeah. Um, what is it? 100% to get the agreement um, from Karen. And uh, when uh, Mandy was saying, Congratulations, Jared. Great story. Love your creative way of getting solutions. So happy for you and your family. And we've got some other comments coming to on Zoom as well. Um, so uh, have you also been recommending Isle of Real Estates to selfie colleagues who are now considered good friends? Oh, that's what Eugene's been doing. Yep, awesome. Uh, and Eugene's also said, you could probably read them as well. Know the feeling of working in IT for way too long. I'm also in the process of tr transitioning out of IT to property full-time. There you go. Good thing to do. Yep. Uh, and uh, really admire your persistence, tenacity and understanding of your approach to problem solving. Yeah, great point, Eugene. That's, yeah, you've, you've Jared, you've nailed that, that exact point as well. It's always about just finding what the obstacle is and trying to find the path that works. But I mean, I've kind of got a little advantage in that I come from a computer programming background and it's all problem solving. You're always trying to 
solve some stupid problem that's in your way. So I think problem solving is a great skill for property, no matter where you bring it from. If you can develop that, just work it, do, learn how to do it with people instead of stupid computers. In my case, so, sometimes you have to do a little bit of both, depending yeah. on your your level of uh, technical expertise. True. Look, I, look, if anyone wants to come to, if anyone's down in Tassie, they're more than welcome to hit me up. I, you can get me on Facebook and Instagram and all those places. Um, I'm all, I know I'm in the Ultimate Group. I'm in the Tassie Group. So yeah, if anyone wants to catch up when they're down here and have a chat, I'm always happy to catch up for a coffee and talk property. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Jared, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to share. I uh, love your viewpoint, love your attitude, and um, really, you know, congratulations on what you've done and what you've achieved. Really looking forward to seeing you um, fulfill the objective of getting you out of work in the next 12 months. And when you do that, can you then put in your story for the Isle of Real Estate Super Conference and then see how you go with... Uh, All right, we'll see how we go. See how you go. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Well, look, um, everyone, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Jared, really appreciate it. There's a, a couple of more positive comments coming in there from um, that uh, very much appreciative of you sharing. Um, we're going to end it off here. Uh, Friday afternoon. Have a great uh, rest of the day, rest of the weekend. And remember, there is a boot camp coming up. Uh, and now with the boot camps coming up forward, Remember, they are a hybrid format, so you can attend live in person, which is obviously ideal. Meeting people face-to-face, -face, as Jared's been talking about, uh, is way better than uh, via uh, Zoom like we are doing now. But either way, either way, uh, you can actually join. So if you, can, if you can attend the live one, great. If you can't for whatever reason, make sure you join um, online as well. Um, we're going to end it off there. Jared, Great. awesome, Thanks man. Thanks so much for your time, Michael. Really appreciate it. Mate, likewise, likewise. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, do well. And we'll end off there. Have an awesome uh, Friday and weekend, hey? Yeah, take it easy. Okay. See you yeah. everyone now. Bye. Bye.